Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. you for today's show. Today is Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. And in case you uh, haven't been scared yet today, (laughs) I didn't want you to miss out. Today's show is everything you wanted to know about Halloween but were afraid. You get it afraid to ask. We're going to be talking today about everything from this year's costume trends to keeping children safe to how scary do we really want to be in today's world. My guest is Leslie Pratt Bannatine. She is a Harvard professor and world authority on Halloween. So anything that you wanted to know, um, she could tell you. And before we, uh, before I introduce my guest, before I ch- start chatting with my guest, um, I just want to give you a thought. And actually, I would like to ask my guest this uh, too, talking about uh, saying boo and being scared. On a background of all of the things that are going on in the world, it, in a way, one of the questions I have for our guest expert is, is Halloween, can Halloween be as scary as it once was? Because um, the costumes that people are going to be wearing and knocking on your door tonight, um, asking trick or treat in, really, it almost seems like it's it's not that, not that anyone gets super scared, but it just seems to sort of have less of a less panache or less of, a, of an impact when uh, blaring in the other room is a radio or a television telling us about uh, the latest story in, of the news in North Korea, whether or not they're planning on attacking us uh, tonight, what's happening in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in many other places around the globe. Um, not to uh, mention what's happening that's scary in the entertainment industry, like um, Heather Mills and the scary accusations that she is leveling at our dear Beatle, Paul McCartney. Now, now that's really scary. <laughs> and Madonna's adoption, her baby adoption, what really went on there? That's scary to think about, too. So on a background of all of that, you know, where does Halloween fit in? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, amongst other things relating to Halloween with my guest, Leslie Bannatine. So, Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Carol. I should say right off, I am not a professor at Harvard. I work at Harvard. I'm a Halloween author. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In case somebody calls and, and uh, mentions that. <laughs> yes, yes, I did I did identify you that you, you work at Harvard in the communications department for the, for the music in for communications music. for the music that's department. That's right. That's right. It would take me a whole different route in my life to have been a Harvard professor. <laughs> well, you also have other roots. You co-founded the Studebaker Theater. That's right. And you are the co-director of the Invisible Cities Group. What is the Invisible Cities Group? It's also a theater performance company. Well, well, well. I, I guess with that background, 
um, because my first question is, how did you get interested enough in Halloween to become such an authority? You have three books out now right, on it. That's right, yeah. Um, we'll be talking about those, too. But what made you sort of uh, become so passionate about Halloween? I, for me, I have always loved Halloween. Ever since I was a little girl, I loved Halloween. And in my 20s, I used to throw Halloween parties, and I was looking for ideas one year, something different to do. And I thought, oh, I'll go back. I'll go back in history and figure out what, what there was, what kind of details I can bring up to a contemporary celebration. And I looked around, and there just wasn't any one book at that time that had the whole story of American Halloween in it. And I was mm. a freelance writer. I am a freelance writer. And I thought, that's interesting. So I started to look into it. And um, three or four years later, I, I published the Halloween and American Holiday in American History which is the story of Halloween in America. Now, then, once you get interested in something, it's like falling down a, la- a rabbit hole. Yes. I mean, to address the second half of your question, it could have been yes. plumbing. It could be anything. But um, it happened to be Halloween for me. It was something that I really liked. And the more I learned about it, the more interesting it got, the larger a subject it got, the more people talked to me about it, the more I heard about it, the more research I did on it. And then it just becomes something that's huge. It's not just... A holiday. It's popular culture. It's it's um, psychology. It's the history of celebrations. It's the history of American culture. It's medieval church history. It's Celtic history. It just grows. Well, you know, I guess though that your th- your interest in theater, which predated your interest in Halloween, right? Yes. Um, I guess that that was part of it too, because so much of, of Halloween is making believe and acting and absolutely, absolutely right. You're right. And that's a huge part of Halloween. And when you're talking about about fear and 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 frightened, being frightened, as you were in just mm-hmm. a few moments ago, it's there's a difference. You know, it's the same difference that's in theater. There's real fear and there's pretend fear. Mm-hmm. And there's real scary and pretend scary. There's really being someone and there's acting as if you are someone. And those two think they're very different. And um, Halloween is clearly, I think, part of the pretend scary and the fun. Unscary and doesn't really have all that much to do with real fear. Well, yes, yes. Well, I, I, I do want to. Um, I, well, while, since we're starting to talk about it, let's. You know, it, it seems to me though. Uh, I actually just wrote a book um, that came out so far in London called "Coping with Terrorism: Dreams Interrupted," mm-hmm. and. Um, so I've been thinking about this whole idea of fear and, and um, how we sort of have two different levels. On the one hand, we hear these news reports about all these horrible things going on in the world, and on the uh, we hear it, and yet because we feel somewhat helpless and don't know what to do about it, we kind of push that out of our mind and pretend that it's not there and go into denial. Mm. And um, we're sort of, we, we, we have these two levels, you know, this cognitive dissonance be, uh, in terms of being aware and not aware of this. And I was just wondering um, about how, you know, even when it's pretend scary for Halloween, that do, do you think we have as much, um, do we get, you know, as scared, even pretend, even in a pretend kind of way? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and, and I love that cognitive dissonance term that you just used. Um, you mean, are we kind of inured to fear even ar- around Halloween? I would say that little kids still get frightened. 
of certain elements having to do with Halloween. Um, I don't think that's new. I think I got frightened when I was three or four, the first time I saw a scary mask or an adult acting un- like not like I would expect them to act or looking different, having on a wig or a mask or something like that. But once you're into kids who are 9, 10, 11, and, and on up, um, I don't think it's quite as scary anymore. I think it's more about just fun. And the way a roller coaster is fun, or um, the way a play can be fun. I think it's all about pretend. Well, you know, I think I think part of it has to do with the fact that it was we had more leeway to be scared years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you were able to because because life wasn't as scary. You were able to have more fun making yourself scared or being scared. Um, you know, for a period of time, like on Halloween or going to a scary movie, I think we have been building up a kind of desensitization to being scared. And at the same time, because we're so close to really being scared, mm-hmm. it, it, there isn't that play, you know, that I mean, that leeway, you know, that mm-hmm. that ability to sort of go there and then run back. Right, and there the images that we're used to now are so different from the images we were used to uh, 40 years ago, say, uh, with all the movies that have come out um, in those decades. That yeah. We have a collective huge amount of images in our heads that are very frightening, that would have frightened us 40 years ago that no longer frighten us because we're yes. so used to seeing them. Yes. And, yeah, Halloween does tie into that. I mean, you see the same things repeated over and over in Halloween. Um, they're not scary anymore. Well, why don't we talk about the beginnings of Halloween? Okay. Um, where, where, when, where did this all <laughs> start? <laughs> Whose idea was it? <laughs> well, there's a very ancient answer, which has to do with Celtic literature and mythology. Um, Halloween, many people believe, had its predecessor in a, a day called Samhain, which, was, which literally means summer's end which divided in the Celtic parts of the world, so that's Ireland and Scotland and England and Wales, Brittany, divided summer from winter, and it was a time that you got the herds in, um, you slaughtered the extras that wouldn't make it through the winter, there was a feast involved, and it was the time that the year divided in half, and you were looking at the dark half of the year. Mm-hmm. And so the mythology that surrounded that day had to do with spirits and spirits being present. And on the other half of the year, six months later, is May 1st, which is the beginning of summer. So for the, the, this, the Celtic mythology in this time a long time ago, and this is 2,000 years ago, 1,000 plus years ago, it was winter and summer. And so the Samhain is the beginning, the very beginning of winter, the beginning of the dark season, the beginning of the dead season. And the church, about 1,000 years ago, instituted two of their holy days at that time. They did it throughout Europe, but it did did happen in the Celtic countries, and that was All Saints Day, which is November 1st, making Halloween All Saints Eve or All Hallows Eve, mm. and All Souls Day on November 2nd, which actually has is more of a soul sister to Halloween because All Souls Day is about remembering the, the dead who have gone on before you. And there was a real active 
relationship between people and the dead at that time because you could pray your dead relatives out of purgatory into heaven. And so on All Souls Day, you could give offerings, you could give money, you could give prayers and kind of accelerate them on their way. And so um, when the Puritans or the early colonial folk came to America, they did not bring this with them because that was way too Catholic and um, because priests were often paid to say prayers for the dead and the Puritans had nothing to do with priests or Catholic anything. There was no, they didn't bring Halloween with them or All Hallows Eve, although they, they knew of it. They did not celebrate it in the strongholds of Puritanism in this country. But that changed and many other immigrant groups came over and when you have um, Germans who have something very much like it, or any kind of Irish or Scottish or or British folks coming over who weren't strict Puritans, they did bring an All Hallows with them. And along with All Hallows, all the folklore that went with it, which had to do with spirits. And that gradually morphed into what we celebrate as Halloween, mostly because the Victorians, when they resurrected all of our holidays, did a great job with Halloween. And uh, (laughs) that was perfect timing. (laughs) We will uh, come back and do more of a great job talking about Halloween, where it comes from. I still have a lot of questions, and perhaps... You people do, too. We're talking about everything you wanted to know about Halloween, but we're afraid to ask. With my expert on Halloween, Leslie Pratt Benetarn. you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength. And the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game for Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! 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 <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. 
I look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Leslie Pratt Bannatine. She is the foremost authority on Halloween. She's consulted to television specials on Nickelodeon, the History Channel. The show was called The Haunted History of Halloween. She's also consulted with Time Magazine and has given talks all over the place and has written the Halloween article for the World Book Encyclopedia. And before the break, we were uh, sort of talking about uh, the history of Halloween. And I wanted you to just um, go back and sort of clarify the timeline of when Halloween started. Okay, this old holiday called uh, Samhain, Summer's End, was recorded by Irish monks uh, in Celtic mythology when they went to write down these stories, fearing they might be lost. They put them down into paper, and that was between the 9th and the 12th centuries. So they were trying to record something that was already older than that. And those are perhaps the first mentions that we have of this Summer's End holiday, this night when the spirits come out. And when the church put its holidays on top of it, All Saints Day and All Souls Day, that was All Saints in about 800 A.D. and All Souls around 1,000. So already by the time we discover Halloween in America, which happened in the late 19th century, really on a big scale, it was almost 2,000 years old. Hmm. And um, what, what fascinates me is one of the things is that this idea of, um, because longer ago, at least in certain cultures, it seems as though people had a closer connection and, and less fear, we're talking about fear, of, um, of, of dying. And um, more, it wasn't taboo to talk about the dead. Um, and it's interesting how, you know, now it seems to have evolved from any kind of, um, you know, this aspect of, of it being the, the time between the, the living and the dead to now we wear costumes of, you know, we're ghosts and we're mm-hmm. um, skeletons and things like that that sort of symbolize death, but we don't really get into the, the deeper meaning of it. Could you talk about that? What, what actually did they say about this? You know, what was happening to the people who were dead, the souls that were dead? Yeah. In the earliest uh, versions. Yeah, this is an interesting point that you're making because you're right. The relationship between the living and the dead was was productive. Um, In ancient Celtic mythology, they believed that the dead held the secrets that the living were not allowed to know. So on a night like our Halloween, there's Samhain, or their All Hallows' Eve, uh, 
the folklore that grew up around it was that this was the night that the dead could talk to you. And they might have advice. They might also be angry with you, so there was a little bit of fear, but uh, it depended on the relationship you had to them. But they might have advice. They could tell you the secrets of the future. Um, this eventually evolved into a lot of Halloween superstitions and games, for mm. instance, finding out who you would marry on that night, um, finding out who might die in the next year on that night. Halloween was completely about fortune-telling or divination up to about 100 years ago. It was the night when you could hear the voices of the dead. Hmm. If you went to a crossroads at midnight on Halloween, you could hear the future whispered in the wind. If you um, put snails in a, <laughs> in a pan of cornmeal, believe it or not, and went to sleep, those snails would, would um, wiggle around and make the initials of the man that you would marry hmm. in the morning when you got up and, and looked at it. Um, if you went to bed and took a thimble full of salt before you went to sleep, you would dream about the man that you would marry. These are all Halloween superstitions from 100 or more years ago, but they're based on the fact that the dead have the secrets of the future. And because the veil is down between the dead and the living on this night, they can talk to you, and you could talk to them. Um, Samhain was also a time to make amends, to, to forgive, to start anew. Well, that's it. <laughs> It's really, I mean, it's a shame that we've lost that part of it. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, and um, I recently went through a lot of old Halloween literature until fairly modern Halloween literature. And even up through the Victorians, there was, um, I mean, they had a unique relationship to death. They were kind of fascinated with it. And, and we forget that bodies were at home, you know, until fairly recently when they're taken to funeral parlors. But people had their their loved ones, if they'd passed away, was home with them for a good long while until they were buried. Um, but you can see the relationship between the living and the dead, just as far as Halloween is concerned and in literature, change with World War I, um, when I think the scale of death was so large mm. and the death was so anonymous and there was... There was there were things we hadn't thought possible, like mass massive um, killings, nerve gas, mustard gas, hmm. I should say. That you can look at the Halloween literature after that, and you see the beginnings of um, what we now call like a whole horror literature. You can see the dead separated from the living, and the dead um, and the living having more of an antagonistic relationship. The dead hmm. are fearful; they're anonymous. You don't know who they are. They're zombies. They're the night of the living dead. They're just you don't know who they are. You just know that they don't like you. <laughs> so there's mm -hmm. a whole different mythology of the dead after World War One. Wow, that's really interesting. I guess um, because because after then after that, uh, people it was too frightening to to have such a close relationship with the dead. I think. Um, after that, just the idea that there was this, this that, that people were capable of massive amounts of death, um, and there was a certain kind of evil that the, mm -hmm. that hadn't been considered before, and senseless death, you know, anonymous death in a large scale war like that, um, where bodies could be lost, and at the same time at home we weren't we were. We didn't have that close relationship to our beloved 
dead folks. You know, they weren't lying in the bed next to us anymore, you know, in the room next to us being mourned for all that time. It just kind of, there's a little rift there. And um, the dead became personified as um, dangerous, uh, anonymous, vast numbers of them. Hmm. Wow. In, anyway, this is Halloween literature. I'm not sure, you know, you can extrapolate it to the whole <laughs> The whole cultural scene, but I can tell you that that did happen in Halloween literature. And then you saw all the great Halloween horror literature started to happen around that time. Yes, because that's when movies started coming in. Yes, yes, Um, yes. And the whole movies fed the imagination even more, where dead people, you know, pop out of the ground and do all sorts of things. (laughs) Yes, which is really, um, (laughs) well, it's unfortunate for a lot of reasons. I mean, uh, because because it's movies uh, really for the most part combine violence with horror, you yes. know, and, yes. and and violent media is so detrimental. But um, you know, I, I compare this. I, I was thinking about um, the the ways, for example, that shamans look at the dead mm-hmm. um, with a much more reverent, um, accepting the idea that yes, they are amongst us. Mm-hmm. We just um you just sort of need a heightened level of perception to see them mm-hmm. um, and and it just it sort of reminded me of um, what of what this what Halloween um must have been like in Celt- ancient Celtic times as far as having more of an acceptance and an interest and a curiosity and thinking that they that they could tell you secrets rather right. than this other view of of um, of wanting to deny death or wanting to or just seeing it as frightening and and not wanting to have anything to do with it. Yes, yes, it was a much more reciprocal relationship, if if that's the the right word. And it, and um, as time went on with Halloween, anyway, it was also romantic. Um, a lot of Halloween has to do with romance, hmm. um, because again of that definition, who will I marry? That became really important to the holiday starting in after the Civil War when um, Halloween and culture in general got really interested in romance. And uh, the, the Victorians kind of recreative took, took old folklore that the first anthropologist had gone out and collected and, um, and published it in ladies' magazines and newspapers. And all of a sudden people were reading all this great, Halloween superstition and things that would happen on Halloween, and they were most interested in, oh, yeah, who, who will I marry? And it, it became this kind of romantic holiday where it also involved the dead because there were lots of stories in these ladies' magazines, these first periodicals that had to do with someone who had lost someone, maybe. They had passed away, and on Halloween, the, the man would go to the cemetery and wait for the, the, his his beloved to rise out of his grave, and on that night they could be together, and only on that night. Hmm. And there's a lot of great poetry with that particular plot line. So why do you think, um, except perhaps <laughs> amongst Halloween aficionados, why do you think that that has gotten lost? Oh, you know, times just changed. The 20th century is so different than the 19th. Um, just I mean, for obvious reasons and, and culturally and with the dawn of the 20th century and all the things that were 
modernizing and the the storm of immigrants that were coming into America, um, holidays took on the function of being the thing that we all did in common. So Halloween, along with lots of other holidays, the Fourth of July, for example, is a it's very similar to Halloween and even Christmas in the way it was celebrated then, were large town-wide celebrations that everyone could get involved with. Well, yes, that makes sense. But Instead I think you should... a little personal piece of superstition that you do with your girlfriend. Mm, mm, I <laughs> see. Well, I think we need to bring back that aspect of the holiday. It would be great. <laughs> it, it, was it was very personal, very small. As as well as the as well as bringing back the dead. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to bring back the commercial right now. We'll have to take a break. But we're talking about Halloween. Everything you wanted to know about Halloween, but we're afraid to ask. I'm learning a lot with my guest Leslie Pratt Benetton. She is the author of three books. We'll be telling you about these books before the end of the show. And uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. What are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength. And the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5792. 
472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Leslie pratt Bannatine. She is the world expert on Halloween. Um, we've been talking about everything you wanted to know about Halloween, but we're afraid to ask. During the break, I was telling her about an X-rated Halloween that I had, talking about romance. But no, no, if I tell you all about it, you'll you'll ruin my <laughs> ruin the illusion. Um, I wanted to. I was just asking her though during the break about whether she's on a quest to um, bring back some of these old traditions, like uh, you know, bringing back uh, the closeness with the dead, the reverence of the dead, learning secrets from the dead and bringing back some of these uh, romantic aspects as well, because it really would be fun, I think, if more people knew about these things. Um, you know, the, I think Halloween parties would be a, a lot more fun if they were sort of rooted in these ancient traditions. It certainly would. It brings more meaning to it, and a lot of people are looking for some way to make meaning out of holidays because they've just kind of galloped out of our control, and there's so many things to buy and things to do, and people are busy. I know there's a large faction of our culture that would like to make it smaller and meaningful each holiday. And so I, I do talk sometimes about things you can do. And, and for myself, I usually try to get out to the graveyard around Halloween and, you know, leave something for my mother. So hmm. that's what I do. I know um, modern-day witches and druids, um, celebrate Halloween in that fashion. They've taken pieces of Celtic mythology and other kind of mythology, Scandinavian, that involve uh, celebrating Halloween as a time to remember the ancestors or remember those who have passed away in the last year. And it's a very solemn and beautiful holiday for them. So there are people kind of taking it back in that way, which is great. I mean, if it makes meaning, all the better. Well, let me tell you about what, um, according to at least one survey, the top uh, ten hottest costume trends are for Halloween. I mean, you probably have a survey of your own. Uh, you know, these might um, these might be somewhat different, but uh, the top ten adult man adult male costumes are in the order: pirate, superhero, vampire, Star Wars. Funny, horror and gothic, Matrix, Elvis, Wizard of Oz, and Pimp. Um, Star Wars, still? Yes, I know. Oh, gosh, that's what I was thinking. And and Elvis still. <laughs> and and Wizard of Oz. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's because of um, the play. Um, what is it called again? You know, the, the play that's on Broadway about the. Oh, 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 wicked. Wicked, Wicked. yes. Possibly, possibly. Maybe because that's, you know, still current. Follow the media. Um, And pirate, I guess maybe that has something to do with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, it has everything to do with (laughs) Jack. I was also thinking it might be a political statement because, um, you know, something, some commentary on what we're doing in Iraq. (laughs) Possibly, Uh, yes. But what's also interesting is that, let's see, Five of these costumes are also in the top ten for the adult females, and those are pirate, superhero, vampire, you know, women are vampiresses, mm-hmm. um, Star Wars, and Wizard of Oz. 
I know. And then the other ones that uh, that that women are the other top parts of the top ten. Uh, it's pirate and winch, <laughs> and um, which is um, sexy costumes. I mm-hmm. guess that goes with pimp. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nurse, isn't that interesting? <laughs> and um, Disney characters and fantasy and fairy. Now, oh, yes, fairy's big this year. Well, yes, for children, mm-hmm. Princess and Fairy is the number one. Yeah. And that's always, I, I like to see that, mm-hmm. uh, sort of more, you know, innocent times. Um, in the top ten for children, six of them um, are, are superhero types. There's Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, Spider-Man, and superhero Flash. <laughs> I think that's where you walk down the street Green and flash Lantern? your neighbors. <laughs> what? Green Lantern? I know. Where are these kids finding out about I them? I don't know. And then <laughs> to round out the top ten, non-superhero, uh, well, I guess in a way, Harry Potter. He's number six. He, he's gone down in popularity. Star Wars. Um, and funny costumes. I don't know. I think a, a lot of it is, um, I, I think people are losing their originality, to tell you the truth. You know, I mean, you know, funny costumes, yes, that's original, but that's yeah. one out of, out of ten. Um, and it, it, it you know, it's, it, I love Halloween because of it being such a, the costumes being such a reflection of the unconscious minds of the people who are wearing them. Yeah. And, um, and so you really get to have a peek inside, you know, someone's uh, someone's mind, you know, like why it's it's what they want, wish they were at some level, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, here they are allowed for this one day to dress up in the way that they wish they were in real life all the time. So why do you figure? And you're the psychiatrist. Why do you figure everybody chooses? I'm going to talk about women first. Short yes. skirts and thigh-high stockings and stiletto heels. Why? What skirts? Short skirts? Short skirts, thigh-high stockings, yes. stiletto heels. Just about every costume, including Dorothy and including <laughs> nurses, comes with those accoutrements this year. So well, what's going on? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> what's going I mean, you know, people are becoming less inhibited. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of, that's another sort of paradox because, on the one hand, people would like to see themselves as a, women would like to see themselves as a femme fatale, femme fatale, um, you know, and, and, and they can say, oh, well, this is just a costume, when really they sort of wish um, that they, that people would see them in this way uh, all the time, you know, that they were this desirable. Really? Um, that they were like a like a movie star or like a television, you know, Desperate Housewives or yeah. um, you know, some kind, someone that people would sort of drool over. And yet, the, the paradox is that um, uh, at the same time, I think the the state of romance in our country is probably as, at its worst state ever. You know, because. Mm-hmm. People have gotten hurt so much, hurt each other so much, the, the war between men and women, the dating wars, uh, the marriage wars, you know, that people are, are recoiling from relationships. So it's sort of ironic that at the same time they're also looking, wanting to look seductive and wanting to be sought after, but really are afraid to get into an intimate relationship because of being afraid of getting hurt. Yeah. 
So in a way, it's, it's almost the same thing as what we started talking about, was there's this level of pretend, pretend fear, pretend sex, right. pretend creative, but it doesn't shift down into anything real um, for, that, for that night. It's just play. Right. In, in, yeah. And, 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 of course, the superheroes, you know, the, mm. the, and it's interesting that I think, um, you know, how many superheroes, I think women, there are probably more superheroes um, in the top ten costumes for women than before, you know, where, yeah. where I mean, at the same time that women want to be sexy victims, <laughs> vixens, <laughs> they also want to be uh, superheroes. Other, others, you know, it's, it goes back to Freud's um, penis envy. Wow. But, um, but people wanting to be superheroes in general, whether it's men or women, and, and I think certainly um, more men, but, but all of us are feeling, you know, it's a reflection as well of feeling helpless uh, right. in the face of world events and wishing that we could be like, um, you know, any of the superheroes and sort of rise above um, these real-life dangerous events. Yeah. Even the children, even parents wanting their children to be superheroes, mm-hmm. you know, to be more powerful. To be powerful, to be effective, to be super for a yes, night. Yes, 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 wow. exactly. Yeah. I've found some extraordinarily creative costumes this year also, just in my own little travels. Yeah. Today I saw someone dressed as windswept, which I thought was just so simple and good. His tie was sticking straight out and oh, that's leaves tacked to the front of him. And another person um, in just a plain old bodysuit with Barbie dolls stuck onto him was a chick magnet. Oh, that's you know, great. He's a little clever. But yeah. <laughs> you. That's what people need to do is to use their, not to, and yes, let me, I wanted to say that I am not recommending any of these top ten costumes for anyone. Um, just, just noting what they were in this one survey, but, but yes, it's always better to be creative and come up with your own um, costume, whatever it is, and not to be like everybody else who's following the trend. Well, stay tuned. We'll uh, come back to Halloween. If we haven't scared you enough, we'll try some more. My guest today is the uh, is, is Ms. Halloween. Her name is Leslie Pratt Bannatine, and she's the author of three books on Halloween and a recognized expert on the subject, as you can tell. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily, from hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products. Get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at noon pacific 3 p.m eastern on the voice america channel living the green life for a human healthy and planet-friendly lifestyle 
Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Hosting Commander in Change, Empowerment Coach, and International Speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest wine makers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women and Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman, we're talking about everything you wanted to know about Halloween but were afraid to ask. And my guest is Leslie Pratt-Bannatine. She is the author of three books, and let me mention them. Uh, at the end, of we'll tell you where you can get them. But one of them is A Halloween How-To, Costumes, Parties, Decorations, and Destinations. Mm, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, Halloween, American Holiday, and American History. And a Halloween reader, poems, stories, and plays from Halloween's past. And we'll tell you about that. They sound really, really interesting. So what about um, the notion of beheadings, uh, that disembodied heads that somehow has been connected to Halloween? Um, you mean in horror movies, that sort of thing? Or people, or even costumes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I... I uh, there's a couple of places that could come from, and, and I'm not the authority on this, believe me, but one of them sounds to me like the old um, floating head Zoltar boardwalk uh, game that you would find in the amusement parks back in the middle of the 20th century, which is actually where the very idea of haunted houses kind of came from, these uh, tunnel of love, dark rides, dark amusements. Um, gradually grew into the haunted houses that we see associated with Halloween today. Another thing I was thinking for severed heads, um, besides horror films, which, of course, influences Halloween in costumes in a million ways, 
but also the the old um, the grotesque French Grand Guignol theaters, the the creepy theaters that happened in the 19th century where people would show things like that to shock their audiences. So there may be a, a number of different places that came from. The fact that it's kind of gathered on Halloween now is because all scary things kind of have gathered on Halloween. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm th- just thinking as you were talking that um, I, I wonder if there will be fewer of them, though, now with the real disembodied mm-hmm. heads that are going on yeah. in the Middle East. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting to think about how when we go to sleep, um, in a sense, our heads, <laughs> our minds... <laughs> Um, become disembodied when we go off to dreamland. Mm. Interesting. Yes, meeting the souls. <laughs> meeting the other world. Exactly. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> now, you were saying um, that there seems to be a trend towards increase uh, off the air, you were saying, in case people are wondering what, I didn't hear her say that, um, that there seems to be a trend in uh, people performing more. I think so. I mean, um, starting even two decades ago when people started to decorate their yards a little bit, you'd see a tombstone and then a pair of legs sticking up out of the dirt. And then time goes by and all of a sudden, you know, there's lights, there's ornaments, there's all sorts of sculptures you can put in your yard. There's um, things that move and twitch and glow. And I'm seeing more and more people buying this stuff and putting it out and making their own, taking months and months and months to create their own things that wiggle and move and go boo-boo-boo and ooh, Hmm. and then populating the yard in costumes, dressing as ghouls or witches or mad surgeons or Hmm. zombies and um, putting on real shows in the front yard just all for trick-or-treaters, which is fairly phenomenal. I mean, I, I do know there are people, there's a large number of people who spend six months on their Halloween displays just for that one night. Now, that strikes me as a theater performance. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, they're, and, they're just, and they do it in the mindset of a theater performer. You know, I will do it until it's done. I will stay up till midnight, three mm-hmm. nights in a row, to finish my flying crank ghost or whatever else I want to put in my yard. And, and they get a wonderful crowd, and they get an appreciative audience, and people start to see them as the Halloween house. So they mm. have a role on their street, and they can't stop now. So each year it gets bigger and bigger. Yes. Well, now, there's something that you go to all the time. I presume you, you, speak, you speak at it also. Uh, the Halloween Convergence. The Halloween Convergence, yes. For many years in a row, people who loved uh, it started with the Internet. As soon as the Internet was in everybody's house, people who loved Halloween found each other. And there are Internet groups, listservs of folks that communicate 365 days a year about Halloween. And um, for a number of years running, there was a convergence of all these folks, a a meeting, and it was seminars, just like you would have a scholarly conference. Um, They would be in different cities, usually in June, because that's when Halloween people are the least busy. And you'd have seminars in, you know, how to make your haunted house look bloodier or how to, you know, build a corpse that sits up, you know, without making too much noise or things like that. Wonderful seminars. And then always a costume party because Halloween folks love to dress up. Yes, I mean, I guess um, 
I guess there are some other sorts of variations of that, like Mardi Gras and all that. Yeah. But do, do, is there also um, are there also seminars in sort of bringing back these old traditions? You know, and what the holiday, you know, some of the things that you've touched on today? Um, sometimes that is addressed. These, these convergences that you mentioned tend to be more about how to create a display or how to market a haunted house. It's, it's for those in and around the Halloween industry. Mm-hmm. There are other gatherings. There's um, something called the Halloween Opera that happens in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, every early October, which is a, a gathering of Halloween people who do one-of-a-kind Halloween vintage-looking things, mm. Mm. Um, beautiful work. And that's more about bringing back Halloween into its, its, its a nostalgic position, you know, into, into the past when things were a little bit more pumpkin-oriented and, and rural-oriented and, and more about the seasons and, and nature. So that's kind of a going back. It happens, yes. Well, is what um, you mentioned that you were going to be that on Halloween you go to the cemetery and you you um, continue the tradition in terms of um, trying, I guess, to hear secrets from your mother. <laughs> uh, yes, at least letting her know um, we're still thinking of her. Yes, and what else do you plan to do tonight? Oh my goodness! Well, I have a, a stash of full-size candy bars, thank you, it's a point of pride, <laughs> that I will give out to anybody who comes by. I get about 100 kids. I'm in a very dense urban neighborhood, and um, I also invite any adult who doesn't have kids or trick-or-treaters at their house to come on over and drink pumpkin beer with me while we give <laughs> out candy bars. Oh, <laughs> well, that sounds great. And are you going to be? Are you going to be something? I am going to be a witch. I have a closet full of witch wear. <laughs> I'm going to pick out my uh, my, uh, my sparkle oh. outfit tonight. I think. Oh well, that it's, sounds. It's 65 degrees in Boston. It couldn't be a better Halloween. Oh, that, yes, that sounds good. Um, well, why don't we tell people before we run out of time where they can get your books? Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or directly from the publisher, who is Pelican Publishing, and in there at PelicanPub.com. And again, the titles of these are Halloween How-To, Costumes, Parties, Decorations, and Destinations, Halloween American Holiday and American History, and A Halloween Reader, Poems, Stories, and Plays from Halloween's Past. Well, I must say, you have... um, really uh, not only shed light on Halloween, but it just uh, made the whole uh, holiday seem so much richer than um, just going to, uh, I don't know, Walmart (laughs) and picking up something plastic in a hurry. (laughs) I think that's that's sort of the modern Halloween for a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah, I think you're right. It's like, oh, my God, I have to get my child a costume. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Halloween. <laughs> well, you know, I think that the, this, these whole the paradoxes and the history and the things that we've been talking about are just so fascinating. The idea of, uh, you know, skeletons and, and ghosts being sort of a counterphobic um, way of dealing with our own mortality and how that has all changed what you're talking about in regard to World War One, I, I think, is really fascinating. So I thank you very much, Leslie Pratt-Bannatine, for well, joining you. us meet today on oh, Dr. Carol's pleasure. Couch. 
Really, really. And have a wonderful, happy Halloween. Thank you. And to you, too. <laughs> Thank you. And right. my... Uh, my little um, psychiatrist comment for the day, another my final psychiatrist comment, is um, in addition to looking at fears and the way that we've been talking about it on today's show, uh, you might think of Halloween also as a time for facing whatever you're afraid of, whatever your personal fear is, in addition to general kinds of fears like mortality and, and headless people and things like that. Um, why don't you dig deep down and... Think about what the things are that you're really afraid of, whether it's intimacy or um, not getting ahead or getting ahead or, um, <laughs> I don't mean, that was a pun. I, mean, I didn't mean it to be a pun. It just kind of came out talking about disembodied heads. But um, whatever it is that, uh, that you might be afraid of, Halloween is a good time to figure that out. And in fact, one place you might start is looking at what costume it is that you're wearing and and trying to figure out why it is that you, if that's what you really want to be, why you don't show some of that um, in in uh, your everyday life. And I'm not talking about those of you who are going to be uh, stalkers or killers, but um, perhaps actually even with that, obviously not to be someone who's violent, but to be someone who takes the power into your own hands um, instead of feeling helpless. So, thank you very much for joining us today on Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and have a happy Halloween. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.